I'm Bert Broadhead, and thank you for joining me for our latest episode of Building Our Future, the podcast where we meet the people shaping the built environment. We're back exploring space as a service today, and are very fortunate to be joined by Gab McMillan of Equiem. Gab has first-hand experience of helping landlords use technology to improve their service offering, not just in the UK, but also in the US and at home in Australia. We were lucky enough to catch her as part of a whistle-stop tour of the UK and hear her thoughts on what she's trying to achieve and where the UK stands versus elsewhere in the world in the movement towards space as a service. For students and researchers listening, we've now got transcripts of podcasts available online. Uh, they're not perfect yet, but please do bear with me and head over to the website. Follow the links to download them. The web address is buildingoffuture.net. My guest today is Gabrielle McMillan, the founding CEO of Equium, who has led the Equium business from inception in 2011. Equium catalyzes communities using technology to turn commercial spaces into places and helps landlords unlock new value in their assets, assisting them to attract and retain tenants while increasing revenue. Equium aims to breathe new life into buildings through deeper engagement with customers, a smart technology platform, and a curated services experience. So Gab, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bert. Listeners to our podcast are now very familiar with the idea of space as a service. We'll talk a little bit more about Equium's specific offering, but suffice to say it's at the, the heart of the movement. By way of background to get us started, Equium arrived in the UK about a year ago. Can you tell us your impressions of how the idea of space as a service was embraced back then and, and how that's changed subsequently versus what you'd seen at home? Equium established an office in the UK about 12 months ago, but um, I was actually flying in and out of London and New York uh, for the previous few years. I mean, London has been the global capital of, of flexible space. So, you know, in some ways, companies like Charlie Green's The Office Group, um, I think WeWork is now your largest occupier here. I think WeWork takes more space than any other yeah, um, occupier in London. So, I mean, I think you've kind of got to carve it up and go, London actually led in many ways flexible space. But when it comes to landlords offering flexible space, um, and I think it, 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 you know, it's probably behind countries like Australia. And by flexible space, what are we really talking about? Uh, short-term leases, okay. um, co-working, shorter-term leases. Why is it behind places like Australia? What, what changed? Is, is it due to the nature of how buildings are owned in Australia? And, and Yeah, I mean, I think Australia is a pretty unique market. Um, in Australia, you've essentially got 80% of the premium and A-grade office buildings um, controlled uh, or owned essentially by 11 large REITs. So... I think one of the things about Australia, and it really has been a leader in terms of tenant engagement, tenant amenity, um, flexible space offerings, and I think that's because the landlords are, are so acutely aware of what each other you know, are doing. There's really 11 of them and it's highly visible, and so when one leads, the others rapidly follow, and I think that's one of the reasons why... Australia has been ahead of the curve. The other thing is in Australia, you tend to have, the REITs tend to have an integrated owner, operator, owner, manager model. So a lot of them are very hands-on. Whereas in London, um, you know, you have you have a lot more um, landlords who are actually investors yep. and the management is done separately. So I think that's another driver as well. I think the closer that the landlord can get to the tenant, to the occupier, the faster you're going to see innovation move. When you arrived here, who, who was kind of first or the, the easiest targets to engage with and people that kind of 
really got the idea and bought in? Equim's first client here was actually Lendlease, um, who we've been working with globally. And I mean, Lendlease, again, I think that's a landlord who is very closely connected with occupiers because of the amount of new builds and development that Lendlease do. And again, I think that's where you see a lot of innovation is with, with new development. We engaged with um, with Lendlease at uh, their development out at Stratford International Court of London, which is obviously a pretty amazing space. Now's probably a good time just to explain a little bit about what Equium is and what you're trying to achieve. Our offering is essentially an integrated end-to-end tenant engagement platform or customer experience platform. There's three aspects to it. I mean, at the heart of what Equium does, we're a technology company. Um, so we have this kind of robust, flexible, digital tenant engagement platform. The reality is that being able to engage with customers, being able to create experiences for customers is much more than just the tech. And so the other two aspects to our offering are what we call engagement, which is essentially content experiences, curated events and activations and programming to really bring a building to life. And we also offer community managers, which are kind of like a you know, think of that like next generation concierge. So the community manager role is actually um, there to engage the building occupants and connect that community. And so when you actually wrap the whole thing together, you know, the aim of what we're doing is to make that particular building a better place to work, whether that's through the introduction of convenient services, um, improving the amenity. Sometimes it's actually just connecting what's already there. Um, you know, the funny thing is, we're rolled out in uh, over 57 million square feet uh, globally here uh, in New York and Australia. And one of the things that we see over and over and over again is that tenants or customers in a building are off- often just actually unaware of what's available to them in that particular building. So, you know, a lot of what Equium can do uh, when the platform's rolled out is actually just connect and integrate all the services that are already available in that asset. Is it really a platform to connect property owners with customers rather than owners with, with their tenants? Yeah, 100%. And, and this whole, you know, we're, we're seeing um, a big trend at the moment, you know, and, and a, real, a shift in vernacular, a massive shift in vernacular away from tenant and towards customer. I think if you look at the, say, the traditional kind of landlord-tenant paradigm, you typically have one contact point in each tenancy that is the landlord contact. And what Equim's platform does, quite simply, is actually connect with 100% of the customers in that building. So you're talking about the staff of the tenant, you know. When you reflect on the way that property management is always, um, has always operated with this kind of one contact per tenancy, it's actually an incredibly flawed model. <laughs> because if you look at an average million square foot building, um, you know, you might have 4,000 customers that are coming to that workplace every single day that are consuming that building. All of them are the customer of the landlord, but the landlord traditionally has only had contact with maybe 20, 30 people in that asset. When you say your average million square foot building. Um, <laughs> maybe not so much in London. I mean, is, is that your target, that the kind of the bigger, the better, that the service works better with those, those bigger buildings? Or is this, can this work on, on any scale? It can definitely work on any scale. You know, and in fact, we have the platform rolled out in um, not only office buildings, large and small, but also retail shopping malls, residential towers. We actually, it, it underpins some co-working operators in Australia and we have it rolled out at a university. So I would say anywhere that you've got a community yep. that you want to connect and you want to offer services and um, and perhaps capture data on, on that community, that's where you can roll out the platform. In terms of Equium's go-to-market strategy here and in the US and certainly originally in Australia, yes, I would say we, we would typically be 
talking to the large portfolio landlords and the most forward-thinking ones because they're typically the ones that have the most gain by offering this sort of improved amenity and service to their occupants and really connecting with their customers. You're in, I wouldn't say a crowded space, but quite a popular space in terms of in terms of tech. How do you differentiate yourself from the competition? It's interesting because seven years ago when Equium started, it really wasn't a crowded space at all. I mean, we, we actually joke. I remember when we first heard the word fintech and in our office, which was probably only a team of, of 30 or so at the time, and we're now close to 250 staff globally, but we actually joked that, oh, we should invent the word prop tech. It literally didn't exist. Now, I'm not saying we invented it, mind you, far from it. But um, when soon afterwards we started to hear the term prop tech and now obviously in America it's referred to as CRE tech, I mean, there really has been an explosion in this space of, of both technology but other service providers as well, which is exciting. In terms of how we would differentiate ourselves one of the one of the differentiators for Equium is, in fact, that experience. I mean, we've been at this for seven years. The other thing is, I think there are a lot of new tech organ- tech oriented organisations jumping into the space, which is to be expected because a the real estate industry is massive. B it's well overdue for for change. There's huge opportunity. Also, there's a lot of capital flowing into the space. Where I would say Equium differentiates on a second point is is that we are really deeply landlord-oriented. We're really um, as much a real estate company as we are a tech company. And I think certainly when, when we go in and I, and I meet with landlords who are considering how they can engage with customers and you know, how they can improve yield on space and what they'll say to us is, look, Equium seems to really deeply understand real estate. So I think experience, capability, the fact that we really started and, and were born out of real estate. And the final thing probably is an integrated approach. I mean, I think we're the only provider globally that actually offers not only the technology, but actually engagement, programming experiences. You know, we bring a partnership network to bear. We've got this kind of incredible content bank that we've built up over the last seven years of this programming around how to actually engage with the community and, and drive results. So you mentioned ROI. How can you measure the tangible success of the program or the platform? Each landlord is slightly different. Each asset is slightly different in terms of what they're trying to achieve. You know, when we talk about ROI, you know, I refer to it on a, on a scale or on a spectrum. So down one end, you've got kind of the one percenters. And that's as simple as streamlining communication. I mean, when you can actually connect every single person in your building to the one platform and start to communicate with them directly, that's a game changer in and of itself. And it's a very basic thing, but the reality is the bar has been so low in real estate for so long that that's actually a starting point. And so being able to get messages out to people, being able to communicate, whether that's around operational changes, firewood and training, um, you know, the car park's going to be closed on the weekend. Yeah. These are basic, basic, basic things. But if you can let everyone know what's going on, satisfaction increases, complaints decrease. So that that's a starting point, right? Then moving up the scale from there to, to some, you know, to a couple of things that I would say more that 10 percenters, right? So we're moving up on our spectrum. That's when I'd start to think about um, data capture and how you can really better understand your tenants. So again, if you've got everyone in your building connected to a platform, suddenly that unlocks this opportunity to actually really deeply understand who is in your building, what services they want, you know, what they're interested in, what their preferences are, and start to use that. You can't rebuild the building, but 
you can kind of have this layer of soft services and amenity that can be experimental, that can be agile, that can really be built around that community. And so, you know, that's kind of in the middle. Start to really understand your tenants, use that to service them better. So as you're moving up the chain, you can then deliver services. And, you know, a lot of landlords are, I think, struggling with how to deliver amenity. And, um, you know, I think there are a lot of options a lot of ways in which amenity can be delivered that don't necessarily involve taking out a whole lettable floor and turning it into to physical amenity space. You know, a platform like Equiums actually allows you to deliver a lot of amenity in almost a cloud-based way, if that makes sense. So, you know, you can do food delivery, um, you can roll out a wellness program, you can run yoga classes at lunchtime, you can bring in lunch and learns and and kind of have this um, this amazing amenity that doesn't take up any floor space, right? Then as we keep going up, then I'd say to landlords, what space in your building um, or what facilities in your building can you monetize? So you start to actually get some increases in yield around um, spaces that are underutilized, vacant space, boardrooms, meeting rooms, lockers, bike racks, all of these things that you can actually start charging for or monetizing because suddenly with a platform, you can actually transact directly with users. And then obviously at the end of the spectrum, really what we're trying to achieve is, is an increase in satisfaction, an increase in retention, um, helping landlords attract the right tenants to their building and, and, and keep them there, and ultimately an increase in, in value, the, the, the actual value of the asset itself. One of the challenges I would assume for you must be, where do you start when you know, we talk about smart buildings, smart cities? There's a huge array of things one could offer on a tech platform, booking your own desk, whatever, checking the traffic on the way into, on your commute, etc. You can do that. <clears throat> you can do that. Yes. So do, 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 you, do you have to have conversations where you're like, yeah, we could do that, but actually it's just kind of going to dilute what we're really trying to do? Or where, where, where does this all get? I mean, I think any product company, this is something that you really, really, really struggle with. And I think... Um, focus is important, working out what you, you know, what's going to be core to the platform and what's not. And so, you know, we would say anything to do with customer interface, anything to do with experience, how can we improve that experience? How can we facilitate a seamless experience? How can we drive convenience? All of those things belong in our platform. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that sit outside of that. And um, that's where we would integrate and partner to deliver a kind of end-to-end integrated experience. And I think we've probably already spent I don't know, somewhere in the vicinity of $20 million um, on on product development um, and we're spending $5 million plus a year on ongoing product development, but you still never, ever have enough time or money to, to build all the things. The way we do it, we work really closely with all of our key customers. We're, we're privileged in a way that we work with so many of the leading global landlords that we can really partner with them, work out what's going to drive results for them, what's going to drive results for their customers. Um, We've got something like 9,800 companies globally connected to the platform. So again, that kind of the data that we already have also drives a lot of the decisions we make around what gets done in our roadmap that's going to be useful and what gets left or never done. So with with that experience and those those data points, you you must have some pretty interesting insight as to what's worked and, and what hasn't. Has there been anything that surprised you in terms of, oh, this is a great idea and then no one's used it? Constantly. And that's the thing, you know, we talk to landlords all the time about how different it is. The process of building a community is almost polar opposite to the process of of building 
a building. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, the construction and uh, process, the planning uh, process around construction is so precise. And, you know, in most cases, you'll have a tenant pre-committed before, you know, before yeah. the shovel hits the, hits the dirt. Building a community is, um, is very different. You really have to be prepared to be a lot more experimental, be prepared to fail. Yeah. Um, be prepared to try things and change them. Um, one of the things we've realised, Bert, is just how different each community is. You know, we will be rolling out things that will work really well in one building and, and they just completely fail in the next. You know, we do so many different events, pop-ups and activations and experiences, but there really is no guarantee of, of what's going to work. You know, we roll out suit fittings as a classic. Um, okay, yeah. So seasonal suit fittings, hugely convenient offering, we might have a tailor in one building and there's a hundred suits sold, completely booked out. Same thing next week in another building, no suits sold. <laughs> so, you know, communities are unpredictable. One of the things I've heard is that one of the most difficult things to, to get the engagement in is uh, interaction between customers within the office. So hosting kind of networking events and stuff like that can be quite hard work, which I think is kind of makes sense to me. So if you, if you can't bring people together in that kind of obvious physical way, like here you go, make friends, how do you kind of subtly create that sense of community? In this day and age when people are so busy and so time poor, um, it's probably more about convenience than anything else. You know, one of interesting fun fact for you, the top five users of our platform globally from a company perspective are all law firms. You know, again, it comes back to different buildings are different, communities are different. So in one building, in fact, one of the um, one of the landlords that we rolled out with in Australia, we launched two buildings with them one day after the other. Um, it's Collins Place and, and Burke Place in Melbourne. So um, they both launched with, you know, fantastic results. So seven, 800 people registered on day one, kind of 30, 40% of the building Um online the, the usage over the first week is similar in both buildings so on a on on paper the buildings are very similar right yeah. and they're both premium grade uh, office then one of the things we always do once we've launched is is roll into what we call a data capture exercise so the first thing we want to do is actually find out you know who is in that building and what do they want and we use that information to then work out what the program will look like over the following 12 months so the fascinating thing about these two buildings is that they came back with completely different results. So in one of the buildings, which happened to have a lot of law firms in it, they were saying, we want, um, you know, coffee delivery to desk, laundry service, can you fill my prescription? You know, what else can you do for me? How can you make my life easier? I don't want to queue up and I don't want to have to pay with cash. You know, I just want to click a button and have it done. And in the other building, when we said to them, what do you like about the service so far and what would you like to see more of, it was all about events community, networking, you know. So I think that, you know, again, it, it really boils down to getting to know who's in your building and what they want. There is absolutely zero point facilitating a bunch of networking events if that's not actually what people want, you know. And if people are busy, let them go home, give them the convenient services at work and then let them go home to their families rather than kind of be hanging around, you know, in the office for networking drinks. Do you start with a kind of standard package and then you have a kind of onboarding process where over the first couple of months you're, you're constantly tweaking, kind of working out what that dynamic is? Yeah, it's very much like that. I mean, we can now, you know, with the experience that we've built up over the last seven years, there are aspects that are predictable. There are some trends that we can pull out that will give us some guidance. And 
I guess what we've learned is, you know, how to launch an asset and get really great uptake in a fairly quick period of time. But then exactly as you've described, from that point onwards, then we do the data capture and then it is, it's it's very experimental. And the community manager plays a big role in that. Um, we're able to capture a lot of data from the platform itself. So, you know, over the last 18 months, you were talking about product investment and working out where, you know, where to invest and what to do next. That data and analytics is a, you know, has been an area of investment in the platform that we've really doubled down on in the last 18 months. So there's something like, my CTO was telling me that we now can collect roughly 18 million data points from from a building. And so that in itself gives us some really good clues as to what people are interested in. We know what they're reading, we know what they're buying, we know what their habits are. 70% of users on the platform will actually complete their profile. So they will indicate what their skills are, what their interests are. Um, and, and more often than not, they'll want their profile to be public on the platform so that other people can search for them. So, and then you start to go, hang on a minute, we've got a lot of cyclists in this building or, you know, you know, we've actually got a lot of, um, we've got a lot of mums and that really guides then not only the event programming, but the sort of services that, that will work and, and will be most useful to the tenants. You're obviously getting a lot of really uh, interesting data coming back from that. And, and that's of use not just to the uh, to the landlords or property owners, but also presumably to the tenants. Is your service purely for for property owners, or do you use it for tenants in multi-tenanted buildings as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. <clears throat> we tend to um, engage with landlords, but we do have a couple of tenants that we work with directly who are you know who single occupier um, tenants, and the premise is exactly the same. I mean it. To be honest, it's it's the expectation of the tenant that's really driving the need for the landlord to, mm. to do this in the first place. So what tenants are trying to do is create amazing workplaces so that they can attract and retain quality staff, right? Everybody wants to create an atmosphere and a culture and a workplace that allows people to be at their best, you know, sure. to enjoy coming to work but also to produce their best work. And so that that's really driving a lot of what we do is, is tenant expectations and tenant demands and it, it's really for us – again, because we were really born out of that real estate scenario is how do we help landlords bridge that gap and how do we help landlords meet that demand? Because otherwise what we're seeing is, you know, with the advent of um, increased demand for flexible space, shorter leases, more of the responsibility for kind of providing this amazing workplace and providing all this service and this kind of hospitality type experience is falling on the landlord. That's where I think we're seeing um, this new breed of landlord uh, you know, WeWork and, and the many, many groups that are fast following them, Notel, Industrious. Our platform really is about helping landlords bridge that gap yeah. so that they can offer this service themselves and meet the, de- meet the kind of the demands of the tenants. That kind of brings us back to where we started, which is the concept of um, space as a service. When we talk about service, there's amenity and there's, and there's actual service. What does that really mean from, from your perspective? Space as a service is very much about a turnkey experience, right? And I think the reason why we've arrived here with such a... I mean, customers are voting with their feet. There's no arguing that that space as a service and this kind of new short-term offering that comes with this kind of -of out-of-a-box real estate um, solution is definitely here to stay. Tenants are realising that the long and arduous task of finding their own space, negotiating with the landlord and fitting it out is something that they really don't need to do anymore. And so then they're now expecting to kind of walk into these ready-made spaces. Now, whether that's um, certainly it's about pre-fitted space um, or flexible and modular space, it's about shorter-term leases, but it's actually about then 
what are the other aspects of the real estate experience that now need to be part of that now? Maybe it's beer on tap, um, it's coffee, it's definitely internet. Um, so, you know, it, it's about then how far does it go? You know, are we going to see reception um, and IT help desk actually get outsourced yeah. and aggregated for the building? Uh, certainly, even on our platform, you know, aggregating things like catering and office supplies is already a reality. I think we're seeing probably the beginning of uh, a trend which is possibly going to be much bigger than what people are even predicting at the moment. Do you think there's a danger that landlords can use technology sometimes as a as a crutch? So it's like, oh, okay, I've got to provide a service. Well, I'll tell you what, I've got this, got this app. Definitely. I think that with the industry moving as rapidly as it is at the moment, it's actually really, really difficult for landlords. There is so much choice. There is so much noise. There are so many companies claiming to do all of these things. And it's not just technology, but I think technology um, provides a very difficult challenge for landlords because you know, not only is there a plethora of choice, but um, landlords typically don't have the capability even within their organisations to be able to effectively assess the options and buy a technology solution. You know, the irony is that for a lot of the landlords, they don't have big internal IT teams to even be able to assess these options. And I think there's a lot of fear, doubt, uncertainty. Everyone knows technology is going to move really rapidly. So if you're, you know, in the early stages of a development, how do you actually select technology now or the right technology partner, knowing how fast it's going to move? You know, how can you even predict what's going to happen Mm. in the next kind of three to five years? The other problem with that, and I speak from my personal experience as a landlord, but it's... um yeah, it's overlap between the technologies that you're using. So everyone, rightly so, starts off with a specific solution to solve and then starts growing into doing wider and wider stuff. And you suddenly find that you've got a lot of crossover between the, the solutions that you're using. Yeah, and I think the noise um, adds to the sense of confusion. And you mentioned earlier, you know, a landlord's using it as a crutch. Um, I don't think deliberately, but I but I think, um, you know, it's very easy to get confused and it's very easy to kind of go, oh, I heard such and such was doing facial recognition, so I need to have facial recognition, you know, because I don't want to be left behind. Right. And so there's this kind of mad rush, but there is, is a little bit of box ticking and there's a little bit of lip service in a way. Um, you know, there's only um, a handful of landlords, I think, that have a really deep, authentic understanding of what they're trying to achieve and how to go about it. Um, but, you know, we're seeing a, a lot more kind of thoughtful, careful thinking around that at the moment. ROI was probably the, the, the wrong term to use, but it, it comes back to just you know, having, having a problem to solve and, and not just doing things because yeah it's about why um and uh we we do ask that question a lot and sometimes you do walk in you know it's funny you mentioned it is a competitive space um i can almost predict which one which other technology providers someone might have met with by the questions they ask me in a meeting so you know we do spend a lot of time kind of walking our customers through that and saying well why what are you trying to achieve And how's that going to work? And have you spoken to your occupants about that? And trying to really just refocus on the customer first and foremost. And to your point, Bert, what's actually going to add value? So so I've worked in a lot of um, multi-tenanted buildings where you basically never speak to any of the other people (laughs) on the other floors. As services like Equium kind of increase in in their use, 
and you get tenants interacting with one another more often, or customers, I should say. Do you think you'll see more more clustering effects? So more, I don't know, real estate firms getting together and working in the same buildings, etc. Or do you think that that kind of diversity of people working together is good? That is a really interesting question, and and one that I haven't honestly given a lot of thought to. Um, I mean. Fast food chains have been doing it for years, haven't they? They all cluster. Maybe real estate firms and IT firms will cluster, but I think there's something, personally, I think there's something interesting in the diversity. And what I would say is regardless of the type of companies, I think there's huge advantages to be unlocked by driving a more connected workspace. And you said before, um, you know, you'd heard it, it was hard to get people to engage in community and networking events. I think it comes down to that, you know, what's in it for them. So the events that will work the best are the ones that are of benefit to the user or the organisation. So, you know, how do you actually connect end users together for mutual benefit, but how do you actually connect the businesses together and how can businesses work together? Um, we see a lot of that actually with um, with the retailers. You know, most of the buildings that we um, that we have the Equin platform rolled out on will yeah. have some combination of retail tenants as well as companies um, and so one of our favorite things to do with our programming is actually drive a stronger connection between the retail services and the retail tenants and the customers of the building but also to use the retail tenants and marry them up with each other and and do kind of these interesting cross-promotional opportunities to, to boost their business that leads me on to a, another point which is that if, if you've you know, the, the more mixed use and we alluded to it earlier on in some ways that the bigger the better what why does this have to end at um at buildings, could you use Equiem to bring together a, a town centre, for example? Yeah, absolutely. Um, from a technology point of view, um, you know, you could you can roll it out any which way you like. It's pretty flexible and modular. So, where we're positioned, our whole mission is to help landlords connect better with their customers. And so, where we where we're typically doing the most of our work is with um, you know large portfolio landlords and I think where they can actually connect not just one building community but actually create a connected network of all of their buildings. Um, One of the landlords that we work with in Australia um, is is they're actually the largest owner of office in Australia, a group called Dexas and they've got the platform rolled out across you know more than 40 buildings now nationally and um, they've got 37,000 customers actively using the platform um, and so what they're really doing is they're starting to think of their customer as, as the end user as opposed to the tenant. Um, they've been able to launch and deliver a whole bunch of services like um, child space, conferencing and event space. What I think is interesting is as a landlord, they're starting to think about themselves as a B2C business as yep. opposed to a B2B business. It's a very different mindset. You've got to move from being what is effectively a real estate provider mindset to an experience provider mindset. Um, it's a different capability it's a different approach but there's a huge amount of value there to be unlocked and if landlords can start thinking about themselves um, more like hotel providers or even airline providers and really start to think about their brand what they want that brand to stand for what experience they want to provide in their buildings and if they can connect all their customers to that experience via some kind of technology they're creating a lot more value than just the bricks and mortar real estate brand i'm sure will be of increasing importance i think my, my only fear there is that it, it clearly favors scale as if you know real estate already fa- uh, favors scale but that will accentuate it i would have thought so what what's next for for equium where, where are you going both in terms of geography but also uh product roadmap 
World domination, Bert. Um, Easy. <laughs> tick. I mean, in the last 12 months, we've expanded both to the US and the UK. We've just rolled out our first couple of properties in Ireland, which is really exciting. So it's small market, but really progressive. Um, and we're getting fantastic results there. Next two uh, regions for us are um, uh, Canada and Singapore, you know, and then we'll be looking at the rest of Europe, I guess, using London and the UK as a gateway. In terms of product roadmap, we're doubling down on mobile. Uh, we launched a native app for, uh, for Apple and Android uh, in the last 12 months. And there's some really exciting functionality that's about to come online around that app, which I, I don't want to give too much away, but it's a bit of a watch this space. But the, you know, the native app functionality opens up a lot of possibilities, let's just say, in terms of mm. what we can do with experiences in buildings and how we can personalise them and curate them and, and really take that to the next level. So doubling down on mobile um, data, um, so we continue to, to build out. That data warehouse that I mentioned earlier, yeah. um, we're building in a lot of a lot of analytics for landlords and property managers, so that, and it's all depersonalized, obviously. Um, you know, anonymous data that they can start to mine. Some of the smarter landlords are already looking at how they actually push other data sources into into our platform, or pull it out and up into their own secure yeah. data cloud if they've got that, so they can start to actually. Um, bring their data together and Into look at up. yeah, look at ten- usage, CRM, leasing, um, and and put that together with the tenant engagement and customer experience platform data. And then the third piece for us is it's it's still going to be all about experiences. We do a lot of events and services, so we're spending a lot of time at the moment thinking deeply about how we make those even easier to, to consume. So that you know when there's a when the flu shots are in your building, you just press one button. You know, getting your laundry done, seamless. RSVPing to a yoga class, seamless. You know, so just how do we continue to make those things easier for the end user? And if people either want to find out what that big uh, the big secret reveal is, or just learn more about Equium and and how to sign up, where's the, where's the best place to go? Keep your eye on our website, getequium.com. Uh, we we have a blog um, and uh, we we tend to make pretty regular announcements on there. Thank you, Gab. On to the, the the big questions, the real the real testers now, which is what is your favourite building? I'm actually going to say an Australian building, if that's okay. Um, there are a lot of buildings here in London that, that I love. My favourite building of all time would have to be Rialto Towers in Melbourne, and that is because it was the the inception of Equium. So it was our very first rollout. It, it was where, where it all began. And uh, so that's a pretty special, pretty special building. And over the last seven years, we've been privileged to kind of be on a journey with that building. It was 25 years old when Equium, when Equium started. Uh, it's been through a significant kind of $200 million AUD uh, redevelopment, new retail, new tower, new lobby, This is is a massive mixed-use building. This is a million-square-foot mixed-use building, primarily office. It's home to about 60 different companies and about 18 retail tenants. And the next question, and you you can't say Equium, by the way, it's uh, your favourite technological innovation in in real estate. I should be saying something cool like AI and blockchain and dropping lots of techie buzzwords. I think, you know, we're all about solving user pain points. So um, for me, the space that I'm watching pretty closely at the moment is around visitor management and access control. Um, I think it's a real friction point, particularly visitor management. I mean, it's, an app, it's just a complete nightmare. Um, so there are a few companies doing some interesting um, things in that space. One I met yesterday, actually, a group by the name of Bluepoint, who are a UK uh, startup doing some pretty interesting things in the visitor management space. 
Cool. Thank you very much. Well, uh, we shall uh, look forward to uh, yeah, following Equium's progress. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Bert. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. The profound change that technology is having on the way that real estate is used is gathering momentum. Having had both Gab and Vanessa Burtz of District on the podcast, it's clear that the industry is very fortunate to have a collection of highly smart, collaborative people driving this movement forward. As we've heard, building the user experience is iterative at the moment, and embracing these technologies now gives you the opportunity to help shape the products at an early stage. So if you're wondering if this is something you should be thinking about for your buildings, think no longer. Now is the time to embrace the change. That's it for this time, but do join me next time when Gemma John will be explaining how anthropology can help developers design buildings that users want and how changing mentalities are leading to changing forms of the built environment. As ever, do feel free to get in touch. I'm on Twitter with the handle at building underscore R or you can email me via the website, which is buildingourfuture.net.